as you can tell if you read Greek, Koine Greek, uh, we're in the middle of a series on the letter to the Philippians, which is by Paul, one of the letters that is officially by Paul. And um, the idea is for this to be a kind of gentle and kind encounter with Paul and with uh, this letter. It's probably, probably his kindest and gentlest letter, so we thought that was a good one to do. Um, but I think the, the thing, well, what occurred to me is that the thing that is the biggest obstacle to us experiencing Paul's letters in a kind and gentle way is Paul himself. He, um, he is a person that um, a lot of us have probably had some pretty challenging experiences with, um, being aware that tomorrow is PTSD Awareness Day, and I, I do, the first, is that P for Paul? <laughs> Pauline Trauma Stress Disorder. Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, I think, I think a lot of us do have a bit of a traumatic and abusive relationship with Paul. I certainly, for me growing up in a um, Calvinist reformed context, um, it was wall-to-wall -wall Paul, really, when we did sermon series, and uh, Paul, I guess, was made to represent the theology of Calvin. Um, yeah, Paul was like early, early Cal proto-Calvin, um, and that's right, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so it's like yeah, him saying, okay, step away from the microphone, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is what people really need to know. Um, otherwise, if, you, if love doesn't really motivate, uh, <laughs> fear is a much better motivator. Um, so there he is, an icon of Paul. Um, so this is the Paul that I grew up with, a Paul that was so close to crowd out any of his context, and um, so loud. Uh, I think others of us more have this kind of relationship with Paul where you had a bit of an encounter. It was a bit unfortunate. It's like kind of a first date where you go, hmm, maybe, maybe no more dates after this. Uh, and so, yeah, we've kind of avoided Paul for perhaps most of our um, Bible reading lives and go on, I'm going to stick with the Gospels, put Jesus back on the mic. Um, so, just before we have a little look at Paul and see if there's any way that we can humanise him, see if there's any way that we can help to give him some context which actually allows us to have a kinder and gentler relationship with his writing and especially with the letter in the Philippians... Um, are there any other Pauls that you grew up with? This is another one I thought of. Flannel graph Paul, Paul that you cut out and put on, <laughs> uh, Paul that you colour in. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know really what the, uh, the effect of that kind of Paul on <laughs> your reading of the Philippians is. Anyone have any other Pauls that they grew up with? I guess just like, don't try to work out how to phrase it, but like the missing bits Paul of like, this like particular angle on Paul that misses that Paul was incredibly subversive, um, really countercultural, uh, brought in 
some of the most like redemptive subversions of religion in the New Testament, but because they never get named, you just get like dominant authoritarian Paul who is um, has somehow come, become kind of like a, a bastion of um, power over, uh, yet completely ignores all of the ways in which Paul just subverts power left and right. Like, yeah. Missing bits, Paul. Which, again, is one of, one of the classic effects of, of Paul with no context. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I became a Christian quite late, so I, I didn't have to be subjected to any of the Bible studies and things that growing up as a kid. And so the first I knew about Paul was actually when I was in Kurong, and they were releasing the Passion Translation of, of the Bible, and they were releasing them like book, book by book. Um, it's, I don't know if you know that translation, but so they'd, they'd released all of Paul's letters in a, in a little sub-book before they released the entire New Testament, and it was called Love Letters. That summarised all of Paul's letters. So, and I don't know them well, but I'm hearing you say this, and I'm going, oh, I thought Paul wrote all these great things that people just, you know, gravitated to and thought this is like an expression of love from the Bible. So um, this is, not that I'm saying you're wrong, or I, I don't know anything about anything, but... Uh, it's, that's my first experience of, of what Paul should be. So. I hear you saying that I'm wrong. That's what I'm taking away from what you said. <laughs> I like <clears throat> some of the bits, bitsy kind of word, but just the kind of the quotes of Paul just became so powerful in the voice of God, you know, for in our church of just that the un, Paul was the voice of God essentially and always just in little bits, never in stories or with a person attached or, you know, a flawed person or kind of the flawed was like, oh, yeah, Paul, you know, this thorn in his side, gosh, he might have had a limp, you know, like this kind of really sort of, yeah, it was never a full picture. It was always this token, oh, what a diff- he might have some difficult things, but most of it is the voice of God, um, yeah. Yeah, and that was certainly what I grew up with, these kind of verse by verse kind of mining of his writing for these things that God was saying directly to us. Um, and that, yeah, there was a, an attempt to kind of give some nod to original context, but it was really just God speaking directly to us uh, and we had to, to wrestle with each verse to pull out exactly what it was that God wanted to say, which was absolutely exhausting. Um, all right, so what I wanted to do uh, is to... Just talk a little bit about his context. Some of the things that uh, Shane said will come up too. But um, I want us to, to find a way to encounter a Paul that is not too close and not too far away and that has some context so that in the next few weeks as we read Philippians, um, the voice of Paul and the context of Paul actually helps rather than hinders us having... Um, a gentle and kind encounter with the Philippians. Um, so, we're going to look at two passages. These are actually passages that I sent out in uh, the weekly note. Um, so, sent, read. I want us to read these two passages, and I want us to think about um, what might be a modern parallel to the person that we see in these two passages. Uh, a modern, a, a type of person in today's world that is like this person's story, essentially. Does that make sense? 
Um, would anyone like to read a passage for us? I'll show you before you jump in. See, it's a short one. Anyone want to read this one? I'm not, I'll just look at the clock, but I do have good peripheral vision. Thanks, Emily. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. The men traveling with Paul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anything. Thank you. Okay, so hold, hold that one in your mind and think about what might be a modern parallel to, to this person, his mission, his journey, the kind of person that he is. And we'll just read the second one, which is a little bit longer, but... Um, would anyone like to have a crack at this one? Oh, thanks, Louise. Galatians 1, 11 to 24. For I want you to know, friends, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God was pleased to reveal Christ to me so that I might proclaim Christ among the Gentiles... I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who was formerly persecuting us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Thanks, Louise. So just thinking about those two passages, what might be some kind of modern parallel for this person, this kind of violent persecutor, has this experience? Alan? Um, it's not something that I've ever thought before, but just I'm immediately struck, and it might again be with what's in the news this week, but by parallel to Brett Kavanagh in the States as someone who, you know, as, uh, as many reports have it, spent a lot of his youth, you know, being uh, very violent and, and, and overpowering to women. <coughs> and, you know, has now basically, you know, had his, you know, has become a respectable person in whatever way and, you know, now achieved a position of authority and is now still, you know, oppressing women but now with an air of legitimacy to him instead of an air of just being the being the bad guy now he's the good guy and still doing the same doing the same thing and i'm not sure how i feel about that thanks alan 
Any other thoughts? So I've been watching a lot of cult documentaries, and particularly one where Jeff Warren is speaking from prison, and I'm just like, literally word for word, that's, it's him, that's the same thing, it's just, it's like he's like, I'm so good, look at me, God chose me, listen to me, everything I say you have to do. Louise? You're showing my age, but um, I was thinking of Bob Dylan, how he uh, converted to Christianity for a while, um, yeah, and changed, then changed back, but that's the only one I can think of. Um, I guess I was thinking of my first experience with um, someone from the God Squad coming to speak at our church, you know, f- full tattoos and kind of leather, you know, it's kind of chinking up the way to the microphone. Um, and, yeah, them sort of, they were sharing a testimony, but that sort of, their life had changed but sort of not changed, but they're now sort of going really strong in the gospel message. Um, I think I feel a bit of a similar. Thanks, Tamsin. So, the, yeah, the, the analogy that came to me, well, a few came to me, but one that came to me was um, the idea of a, a Sunni extremist um, who's whose mission in the Middle East is to basically hunt down Shia in his country and kind of destroy them or blow them up or whatever it might be. Um, and because it's easy for us to have the kind of flannel graph view of Paul on his horse riding to Damascus and, oh, I've blinding light. But the idea of, um, yeah, essentially some palim- paramilitary dude with his posse on their way um, and then having this extraordinary mystical encounter of some kind which radically transforms his life. He then becomes someone who goes around the Muslim world preaching peace between Sunni and Shia Um, and yet, so that there's that radical change and that um, extraordinary experience and this kind of very dangerous mission that he then takes on to put himself in harm's way to, to preach peace. And yet, in many ways, he remains exactly the same person. And I wonder if that... Because it is for me. I wonder if it's helpful for us because it touches... On the one hand, on what Shane is saying, it touches on this idea that this person was radically changed and started preaching this incredibly countercultural movement. I might post something during the week from Tom Holland. Tom Holland is an um, ancient historian, written this amazing book called Dominion about the kind of history of the church. Um, he himself is not a professing Christian, but he describes himself as a Christian just by virtue of growing up in Western culture. And he talks about Paul as being like a depth charge in Western culture. And you wouldn't have noticed at the time the effects of his message, but over millennia, it's rippled out in this incredibly radical transformation of the way we understand human identity, the way we understand power, the way we understand everything. 
Um, so that's on the one hand, we need to get in touch with how radical that change was and how radical that message was. But on the other hand, we, we need to r- remain in touch with the fact that he remained a thug. <laughs> he's, still, he's still in touch with that thuggish personality type. Um, so it's almost like to really encounter Paul, we need to move in both directions from the idea that we've inherited. We need to get in touch with how very radical his message was, how revolutionary and how beautiful it was. But also we need to remain in touch with the fact that he was a kind of objectionable person growing up and he kept a lot of those qualities. And when we read his letters and we go, oh, that's a bit rough, that's okay. This is not God's voice. This is the voice of a reformed thug. The, um, yeah, have a microphone. No, I just wanted to say, like, like just to pause on that point for a second, because I think, like, your description of it is just so spot on of, like, that's how it has been described to us, is this is the voice of God to you. And our exercise in all of these things has to be taking, you know, even with Jesus' words, taking the fact that it was authored, <laughs> not by Jesus, like, or creating enough distance between the voice of the divine and what we're receiving to go, there are some elements of this which are objectionable to us because we need to transform. And there are some elements of this which are objectionable to us because it should be objectionable. And it's objectionable to God as well, and that's okay because this isn't the voice of God unmediated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess I just wanted to, to show you this image before we look at um, before we look at our last passage, because it really it highlights that exactly that kind of bizarre paradoxical relationship that I think we need to have with Paul so that we can get the most out of his letters, um, and it leads to this question, which I think is a really helpful one, that how does reading Philippians as a letter sent by a reformed terrorist, a reformed thug, how does that help us to get the most out of it? How does that help us to receive it kindly? Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking, the, the other analogy I thought was, um, yeah, the idea of some God Squad guy, some um, thuggish far-right dude that travels Australia um, preaching kind of anti-trans, anti-queer messages in churches and then has this road to Damascus experience where he realises that he's completely wrong. And this person comes to our community um, and asks for forgiveness, preaches this message of kind of I was wrong, queer inclusion, but remains someone that's really intimidating, remains someone who uses language in a way that really jars with us and yet is still an ally to the vision of life that we have. I guess it's that, it's that incredible tension that I want us to feel as we, as we read Paul. Um, I really 
prickly ally um, and someone that we might never want to hang out with, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing for us in what he has to write. Um, I know there's a lot in there. Just before we read this passage, was there anything else that people were kind of busting to say? Yeah. I think it just, um, let's see if I can put this into words. Um, (laughs) It makes me think of how people who tend to be the most extreme in their beliefs, um, like to have that much passion, and this is probably a generalisation, but often you have to cut off the idea that you could be wrong, and so then it's only something very extreme that can change. So I guess he goes from that extreme kind of, yeah, one extreme to another, and he's still not thinking maybe I could be wrong, now I'm the authority in this new thing because I've had this experience. I think it reminds me of kind of like even pastors that I've had in the past who are, you know, preaching one like very specific thing and you're kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. And they're like, well, if you don't fit into the mould then, you know. And then later on they change their tune and they're like, oh, wait, no, no, I was wrong. But like I think to have that like leadership and that um, there's like a certain charisma or a certain something that comes with that kind of personality and they have to show no kind of doubt or no kind of... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, just narcissism often is, yeah. is, is in there as well. The other thing that I might post during the week is a, a beautiful interview with um, a f- female um, academic in... England, who is uh, autistic and who has this theory that Paul is autistic and she's about to write about it. Um, But there's so many different ways in which we might encounter Paul to go, oh, this makes sense of my sense of distance from Paul, but also helps me to um, still find value. Damson, you want to... Just quickly on that idea of Paul being on a spectrum, um, sort of last week in reading Philippians about how he sort of publicly shames two women, and it feel it sort of feels really tone deaf of like what you know like that you you kind of in one hand saying they're in disagreement and doing it in a really public way, but other saying oh I really they, these two women are so essential and we've just been cl- super close, but there's this tone deafness, and I was like I I wonder if. Paul himself is just completely deaf to the subtlety of this is perhaps inappropriate. You know, this this is hard to read. You know, like it helped me go, okay, that felt jarring. Maybe it is actually jarring from someone who couldn't have read it any differently. Well, let's just kind of follow up to Janelle's point, but I think and after the conversion, it would be such a fundamental change in sort of Paul's paradigm, but his personality would have retained... Um, and there's such an intensity about him that he would have tried to translate into his sort of new conviction, um, which probably doesn't necessarily go hand in hand all the time. Um, so I think maybe sort of ironic in the sense that like a very intense, not necessarily the most gentle person is trying to preach with the gospel of Jesus, which is sort of contrarian to that. Um, and I think that might be some of the reasons for maybe some discordance in the language and the tone with the message. Thanks, Ben. 
Oh, Louise, I might make this the last. Oh, no, two, two more. <laughs> you're, not going to much, you're not going to get much time to talk. Um, yeah, I just think the word thug is a bit harsh. <laughs> um, for me, I th I'd say a strong character, yes, and, he's, and I like the word passion too. He's become passionate about um, the God message. Um, and also, I just think, um, yeah, it's in the context of that culture too. We, as you keep saying, we have to remember the, the culture and the, the attitudes of that time. I'm not making that as a concession for him, but... Um, yeah, he was very passionate about what he wanted to say um, and, yeah, maybe a bit of a blind spots about women and things like that. But, yeah, I just think Thug is a bit st too strong. Yeah. So whatever you need to call him to, uh, <laughs> to be able to engage with him, I guess, is the point. I heard this great this person talking the other day about his kind of position on women essentially being him having this radical egalitarian vision of an inclusive vision and then just given his personality going, oh, oh he, I realise the implications of this. Oh, it's too much. So that, that in, yeah, t internal wrestle. Um, Katrina. Um, it just made me think, following on from what's been said about how many times perhaps in our faith we've been asked to grapple with culture that's 2,000 years old and asked to try and drag ideas from that into our current... Uh, faith and just how challenging that is, you know, like are, are we being asked, you know, when there's people that sort of take things very literally, are we asked to follow Jesus as well and also follow Paul for the cultural things that they've brought and how, how do you pull those apart from, you know, the absolute essence of, of what God's about rather than what the culture's about, including for us now too. And I think this is one area where we need to embrace the fact that we are members of a Jewish sect and that Jews know how to do this. Jews have been doing this for millennia, taking tradition and applying it to a new context and finding new life in something that is old. And we need, yeah, we need to just to become more Jewish in the way that we engage with Jesus and Paul. Um, so I'm just going to read this passage and then, um, don't worry, I didn't have much to say, so we're almost done. Um, so, yeah, I just want us to listen to this as if it's, yeah, being said by this guy. For those listening, it was a picture of some proud boy dude from America. Um, if our life in Christ means anything to you, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then be united in your love and convictions with a common purpose and a common mind. That is the one thing that would make me completely happy. There must be no competition among you, no, dis no conceit, but everyone is to be humble. Value others over yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, your attitude is to be the same as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but instead became completely empty, took on the image of oppressed humanity, being made in human likeness. Jesus was thus humbled, obediently accepting death, even death on a cross. So Shane's going to look at this passage next week, so we're not going to talk about it now, but I just, I just want you just to sit for a minute 
with the idea of these words coming out of the mouth of that man just for one minute and then we'll have communion. So as we come to communion, um, for Paul, for Paul, this meal was um, an act of radical hospitality that showed the way the message of Jesus broke down social divisions and hierarchy. Um, for Paul, the focus of his connection with Jesus was always the cross. Um, and I guess in the spirit of what Katrina was saying, um, it's okay for us when we have communion to, to engage with it differently, to think about different aspects of the way Jesus showed solidarity with humanity. Um, I was listening to um, a trauma theologian this week, Karen O'Donnell, who has been through um, multiple miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies. Um, and she said that for her, the idea of Jesus' solidarity with us in the cross doesn't really have much power, um, even though this is what Paul focuses on almost exclusively. Um, for her, it was more the, the story of Lazarus that we looked at recently, the idea of Jesus weeping at the loss of someone that he loved, that was a story that gave her comfort. That was a story that made her feel like there was solidarity for her um, in the life of Jesus. Um, and I guess as we, as we talk about a Paul that has things to offer us but who we might not identify with at all, um, as we come to communion, I want to also offer us the same kind of freedom. We don't have to engage with communion the way Paul did. We can engage with it in ways that are meaningful to us. We can think of Jesus' solidarity with us in ways that are powerful for us. Um, yeah, Paul was not particularly interested in much of what is touched on in the Gospels and much of what is we see in Jesus' life. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, but we can connect with what we find in the Gospels and we can find Jesus' solidarity there as well as in the cross. Um, so what we do when we have communion here is we invite people to come up, take a little bit of cracker, a thing of juice, um, form a little loose circle around the table and then um, I will pray and we'll eat and drink. If you don't want to participate in, in this, that is totally fine. Um, there's absolutely no pressure. Uh, but the important thing to say is that there is no condition on participation for this community. If it's something that you want to do, you are invited to do it. Um, so, yeah, come forward if you like. Take a piece of cracker and a thing of juice. And when we all have something, I will pray and then we'll eat and drink. Loving God, in, uh, in Hebrews we read that in Jesus we have someone who is able to sympathise with our weaknesses. 
We have one who was tested in every way that we are. And as we um, eat and drink, and as we remember Jesus, uh, I invite all of us to to experience Jesus' solidarity with them in whatever way makes sense to them, whatever way they need Jesus' solidarity. Uh, as we think about Roe versus Wade, uh, we think about the many ways in which um, women in the States might need to experience Jesus' comfort and solidarity this morning. And so we, we pray that they might experience that um, in the midst of everything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat and drink. Thank you.